we continue our study in times like these, times like these as our nation, our culture forget God and turn their back and make laws that are punitive towards those that hold up God's standard of holiness, just like Isaiah experienced in times like these of the loss of a little one, the memorial service for Ann Berenson is 10 o'clock on Tuesday. You can come. Bring your children. Sometimes people say, oh, that'll make them feel bad. No, no, this is a time for family to gather. Often people don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just be there. It is a comfort. It's an encouragement. But in times like this, the old gospel song, in times like these, we need a savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. In times like these, we need the Bible. Be very sure your anchor holds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is sure that we can trust it. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in power today, Lord, that I might be spirit-filled, that we as listeners might be spirit-filled, that we might not be just hearers of the word, but obedient to the word. Lord, I pray for those that do not have an anchor. Lord, they have no protection in the times of these storms. Lord, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't know. Theologians aren't sure whether Isaiah 6 is his commissioning before he was called or whether he was called by the Lord but in the midst of preaching to people that don't change and don't listen, in discouragement, the Lord encouraged him by calling him into his throne room and saying, no, no, I've commissioned you. But the point is, he was changed by his meeting with God. It was a time of sorrow because this great king had died. Uzziah was a great king. He had a little problem at the end. He died a leper because he disobeyed God, but he was a great king. And he had provided many victories, and there was an increase in land holdings, and there was an increase in wealth. And so Isaiah going around saying, hey, God says there's not a well spot in your whole life. You're altogether corrupted. They're saying, what are you talking about? Times are good. Things are good. You're bad. In fact, during these times, as God was sending his prophets to speak, there were other prophets speaking peace and safety. The good times are yet ahead. And when God warned them in Isaiah chapter 7 with, or Isaiah chapter 9 with one of the northern cities being attacked by the Assyrians, their response instead of repentance was, oh, the bricks are fallen, we'll build with stone. The sycamores have fallen, we'll replant with cedars. What they said was what of many uh, foolish people say today, well, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So as God brings discipline to try to warn, they just feel like they're stronger. But I want to tell you something. You will not resist the judgment of God. And he doesn't miss one. He doesn't miss one. But often in the midst of sorrow or trial or adversity, we begin to lose our way because we lose our perspective. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, God gives Isaiah the right perspective. 
He calls him to a view from the top. There's an old poem that my pastor, Dr. Clearwaters, when I was little in Minneapolis, used to quote. It's called The Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I do not choose the colors he weaveth patiently. Sometimes he chooses dark threads and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the master's loving hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And when we're discouraged, when we begin to think, I don't understand why, that's the wrong question. Yes, you understand why. Many things you'll not understand until you get to glory. The old gospel song says, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. And Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God is able. Peter wrote and he said, God is able to reserve the wicked to the day of wrath. And he's able to save his own to take them to glory. He's not going to miss one of either. But in the midst of this sorrow and wondering what's going to happen, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Later he's going to say, I see his glory in all the earth. It fills up all of the earth. When we lose perspective, when we get our eyes off the Lord, when we take our eyes off of Scripture, see, so many even believers think it's just learning the rules. Well, I, I know all the basics now, so I'm good. Let me, I'll just go live my life, and I got my little fire insurance policy, so I'll just go live my life, and everything will be fine. No, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Just because you know dietary rules about what is good food and what is bad food doesn't mean you don't have to eat, right? In fact, the more you put out, the more energy you expend, the more energy you need to take in. So as you're on the firing line every day for the Lord, you need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. It's not just knowledge, it's spiritual food. And we need to be reminded. That's why we sing hymns. That's why in the Word daily, the old gospel hymn says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Until we're with the Lord, we need to be reminded of his grace, of his glory, of himself as the priority. The priority. God is above all. He is the, is the only opinion that matters and does not change. The only opinion. There's so many believers. Well, I call them Yabbit Christians. When my dad would give us instruction, we were little, and we'd say, why do you do this, or I want you this, we'd say, yeah, dad, but, yeah, but. he said, I know what a rabbit is, but I don't know what a yabbit is. And there's a lot of yabbit Christians, and they have this attitude, well, that's what the Bible says, but, and they have their own little parentheses for themselves. You live that way long enough, and I give you permission to question your salvation. 
Because if God's word is not the priority, if it's not marching orders, if it's just the ten suggestions, then you don't belong to him. Because the Bible says in 1 John 5, by this you know that you love him, that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. How do you do that? By checking the word of God for everything. By checking in in prayer about everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. He'll give you a straight path. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, you hear it quoted, you probably have it memorized by hearing it so much. The psalmist said, how can I make my path straight? By hiding God's word in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It is the priority. It is our spiritual food. And it's just a reflection. And it's his message to us, the great God who sits on the throne. He said, the whole earth is full of his glory. See, he was missing that before until he got his perspective right again, until he got his vision adjusted. He thought he probably was doing okay. I mean, he's a prophet of God. He's speaking for God. I know the rules. I know the law. I fulfill my ceremonial commitments. And yet when he came into the throne room of God, he had a different idea about himself. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that it's very unwise to go around comparing yourselves among yourselves and by yourselves. You could always find somebody better that you say, or, or worse, and you say, well, I'm better than that guy. And that guy could say, well, I'm better than that guy. And they say, well, I know this guy in jail. I'm better than that guy. But the other people are not the standard, are they? The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the standard. Who is that? That's the glory of God, Jesus Christ, perfection, the king sitting on the throne. What he'd been missing before was all the glory that's displayed in creation. And every day, sinners who don't know the Lord pass by all the glory of creation and they miss it. But the Bible says, one day they'll be without excuse. Because God's eternal power and glory can be seen even in his created works. Even in this fallen world, you see the order and the beauty, all the complicated systems that God just spoke into existence. He just spoke them into existence. And he holds them together by the power of his will. Otherwise, this place would fall apart like one day it's going to do. The Bible says that one day he's going to take his hands off and it's going to melt with a loud noise and fervent heat, it's going to explode because he's going to take his hand off it. The Bible says, by, all thing, by him all things are held together. He's the priority. He's the all-sovereign God. Jonathan Edwards said, the safest doctrine in all of Christianity is the sovereignty of God. Why? Nothing is missed by his sovereignty, by his omniscience. He knows everything. And the Bible says we can be confident, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Even the things that Satan does, even the wounds that Satan gives, God turns for his glory. And Paul, after suffering so much at the hands of Satan and unbelieving 
Jewish people or unbelievers said, I am confident of this, neither not life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor any created being shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. In fact, he said, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. God is the sovereign. He is the powerful one. Verse 2 says, Seraphim stood above him. Now, Seraphim is one of God's angels. Now, if you have in your mind that an angel is a fellow with long hair and two wings, we don't see anything like that in Scripture. Angel just means messenger. But there are different kinds of messages. There are cherubim and there are these seraphim. We believe we see these seraphim again in Revelation 16 and following when they begin to pour out the vials of judgment. So they're messengers of God's judgment. They go to the altar and they take these coals of fire and they pour them out on the earth. And the earth is destroyed because they are messengers of God's judgment. These seraphim are very dangerous creatures. If you think somehow you can protect yourself from the judgment of God, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is giving instruction about communion, he said the church at Corinth was going through communion. They had all kinds of sin in their life, but they go take communion anyway. And what was God doing? Some were dying, and some were very sick. Because they were just going through the motions of Christianity. And so you might think, well, I just won't take communion. Oh, no. The Bible says if you belong to him, he scourges every son he receives. Why? Because he loves you. Now, if you don't belong to him, you can sin all you want. You can have any attitude you want. And you go on your merry way. But judgment is waiting. Judgment is coming. And God never misses one. He's going to complete his work. In the book of Revelation verse 20, it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, you see the scene. You get a little more picture of what heaven's throne room looks like. And you can read it all you want. I've read it. And you still come out and you go, I don't know. There are these creatures that have four faces facing each direction. And they stand on upright feet, but their, their feet are like calves' feet. And they shine and they glow. And they have wheels around them full of eyes. And they go like lightning. You can't get away from God's messenger if he sends them. In the throne room, it's filling up with the smoke of God's judgment. And the Bible says in Revelation, when John the apostle gets just a glimpse, he has the same experience every one of God's men has when they come to the presence of God. He falls flat on his face. He hears this thunder behind him like Niagara Falls. And he turns and he gets a glimpse of the risen Savior. The glorified Savior, what does he see? He sees the, the hair of Jesus, white like wool. He sees his face shining like the sun in all of its strength. He sees his feet like brass that are glowing and burning from a fire, speaking of judgment. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. 
but just a physical presence in that vision of God and that holiness knocks John to his face. Isaiah is convicted of his sin. These seraphim are calling out to one another and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. The Bible says some have the job there in heaven. That's all they say for all eternity is holy, holy, holy. What does holy mean? It means totally separate from anything else. There's nothing like God. Johnny Erickson Tata, I think, gives one of the best explanations because you might think, well, saying holy, holy, holy all your life for eternity might be kind of old, right? But not if you were seeing something new every time you got a glimpse of God. Every time you were given a new realization, and you know what the truth is? Listen, we will never plumb the depths of the beauty and the knowledge and the power of our God. He is, his ways are past finding out. So Johnny Erickson Tata says, what happens is, he, she says, I believe that these, these creatures, they get a glimpse of this awesome and powerful and mighty and holy being. And they turn away and they say, holy, 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 who is like God? About the time they get done worshiping, they look back and they see something else and they worship for all eternity like we will. In utter amazement of a God who saved us. Why? That's the amazing grace. Now it says about these seraphim. That they have six wings, and with two they cover their face, and with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. And you might say, well, that's just really good. They were taught how to demonstrate humility. That's what all the writers say, and this is just from Pablo, so you don't have to write it down in stone. But I think it's not just they're covering their face, faking humility, or just posing as humble. Nothing has to fake humility in the presence of God. And I think God gave them those wings to cover their face for the protection of their life. People have this idea. John MacArthur wrote a book, and he had a friend or guy he knew uh, that said, you know, every morning he's shaving and Jesus comes in and puts his arm around him. John MacArthur says, I got one question for you. What's that? Do you keep on shaving? Because if you do, it's not Jesus. You just don't walk into God's presence. He's a holy, holy, powerful God. And everything surrounding him is dangerous. These seraphim come. If he sends them to judgment, there's no going back. They're completely obedient swiftly. When these seraphim speak, the foundation of the threshold trembled to the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. What a place this is. God's going to give us new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 says, whether you go by rapture, you go by death, we will all be changed. Why? Because we need these new bodies. These corruptible bodies cannot withstand the glories of heaven. And he said, bodies are like a seed. They fall into the ground, but then they bring come forth to eternal life and We will not precede them that are asleep. If you die, Charles Swindoll, he had a godly grandfather who was a judge. And he would go fishing with the judge. And the judge told him one day, Charlie, I want to experience the whole thing. 
it's great if you go by rapture, but I want to experience the whole thing. I want to die and see Jesus, and then I want my body changed when he calls us from the grave. How can you talk like that when you have a confidence that what God's word says is true so that when you sorrow, you sorrow not as others who have no hope. We sorrow over separation, but it's not over because of death. The worst thing that happened to a believer is not death. It's sin that takes him away from a faithful life. That's the worst thing that can happen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the best thing that can happen. God's going to finish. And one day, every knee will bow, Philippians chapter 2, and every tongue will confess of things on earth, under the earth, in the sea, every created being Lost, saved, all of them will bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But those that don't belong to him then will be cursed and will cast into the, be cast into the lake of fire. But they all will, they will all believe. And the Bible says God doesn't hold much water with say, people that say, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe. No, no, all you're saying is no God for me. The fool has said in his heart, no God for me. The wise man bows his knee before the God of glory. And he submits to the holy word that God has given us. He doesn't question it. He doesn't say, well, I don't like that part. He submits to all of it. In the presence of God, verses 5 through 7, Isaiah sees himself as God sees him. Now he's seen God as God is. Now he sees himself. Because of that vision, he sees himself. And what is his Reaction, woe is me, I am ruined. Literally what he's saying is, oh, I'm a man about to be ripped apart. That is the danger of a mortal in the presence, the physical presence of a holy God. I'm a man about to be obliterated. I don't know if he saw the seraphim moving, but he realized he was done. And what was the conviction of his heart? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. The Bible has a lot to say about our words. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you have filthy language coming out, you have cursing coming out, you have slander coming out, guess what? That's what's inside. So no, no, no. That guy cut me off in traffic. That person over there injured me. No, no, no. That doesn't justify what they did. But when you get squeezed, what comes out is what's inside. And Isaiah doesn't say, well, it's all these people I live with. No, he says, no, no, I I live with these people. And guess what? I'm just like them. You're not going to be able to minister the gospel unless you realize that you're just a sinner saved by grace too. You know what we want to be as a church? We want to be a church that welcomes sinners because that's what we are. We never want to become some religious institution that has over the door no shirt, no shoes, no Savior. Hey, listen, here's our rules. If you can just keep up, maybe you can come. We might allow you to visit. This is a salvation station. Just one beggar telling another where to get the bread of heaven. He said, I am undone. I want to tell you, folks, this last year, and I'm not judging, I'm just observing, 
out of the mouth of Christians, many from this church, I have heard so much blasphemy I'm in my whole ministry as this last year. You know what the excuse is? People are dropping the F-bomb. They curse Jesus. They say these words. And they say, oh, well, that's who I really am. Oh, yeah? That's who, well, that's what the Bible says. You agree with the Bible. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, listen, I think Christians make mistakes. I understand. You sin and you say things. But the Bible says, if you sin, what's your first reaction? The mark of the believer, 1 John 1, 9, is not that he has no sin, but he's always confessing his sin. The unbeliever, the Pharisee, the wicked person justifies it. He says, oh, well, that's just who I am. My grandpa had a bad mouth. I was in the Navy. I got a bad mouth too, right? No, no, no. The Bible says if we confess our sin, what does confess our sin? We agree with God about it. God, that, that word, that was wickedness coming from my wicked flesh. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, renew in me a clean heart. Cleanse me from sin. See, that's his job. You can't cleanse yourself. I can't cleanse myself. But his goodness, he's giving you the Holy Spirit. Are you convicted about it? Have you accepted it? Well, that's the way it is. Don't mess with me. I get jostled. I spew filth. Not in a believer. Paul writes to the believer and he says, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that we'll give grace to those who hear. So what, what Paul goes on to say, or Peter later in 1 Peter chapter 3, is when you're in trial, when you're getting squeezed, then be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Why? Because when you get squeezed and you're full of Holy Spirit, you're full of grace, People wonder at that. They don't wonder at it when, you know, you just got a new car, good job, everything's going, and you say, praise the Lord. That's great. You ought to praise the Lord then. But in the bad times when you're full of grace and you don't even know the answer, and like Job, you say, all I can do is put my hand on my mouth. God is good. And grace comes out and people wonder this. How? How can you still love the Lord? He says, that's my only hope. Job's wife said, you ought to just curse God and die. And, and uh, Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. See, don't, don't lie, the Bible says in James. Don't, don't, don't rail against the truth and say, well, this is somebody else's fault. When that corruption's coming out, that's you. How many times you hear these Hollywood guys, you know, or girls, they get, they get caught in a bad situation, they say something, and it's usually slander, sort of a race or something, and they go, oh, that wasn't me. Oh, no, that was you. That was you. And the difference here is Isaiah says, Lord, it's me. It's me. It's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of cleansing. Cleanse me. He thinks there's no hope. He thinks there's death. Listen, some of you have said a prayer and you've joined a religion and then you get squeezed and you're the same old devil-worshiping person you were before. But you think you got everybody fooled because you learned some doctrine, you learned some phrases, and you got some robes. And Jesus looks right past those robes and he sees a tomb of death 
full of all manner of corruption and dead men's bones. And you as a believer even say, oh, hey, don't mess with me. You won't like what happens. What did Jesus do? Even on the cross, as he was bleeding out his lifeblood, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't lie against the truth. Submit like Isaiah did. Lord, I am worthy of death. I am worthy of your judgment. And immediately, the seraphim come because they're not only angels and messengers of judgment, they're also the messengers of salvation. Pastor, what do you base that on? Some really neat verses in Hebrews chapter 1, 7 and 14. He's speaking of Jesus being better than the angels, but he says, of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Seraphim, fire. Verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those that will inherit salvation? The Bible teaches that you have a guardian angel. And Dr. Bookman says that many times, he says, I can just consider when I look at some of your lives that the guardian angel had to sit down and take a breath, protecting you. But it's not that the guardian angel is following you around. No. The guardian angels are so fast. These seraphim are so fast that God just gives the word and like lightning, they can be there to protect you and preserve your life until you Wake up and come to Christ. See, where do you get that from, Pastor? When Jesus was telling, warning the disciples about not offending little children, about not being a stumbling block, you know how you'd be a stumbling block, parents? When you say one thing, oh, son, here's the way we order things. God, then family, and then whatever else. But you don't practice that. You see, they look at your life and they see what's important. So you're preaching one thing, and you're saying, son, don't do what I do. Do what I say. They won't believe you. They'll do what you do. You become the stumbling block. Jesus said, if you cause one of these to stumble because of your poor steps, it would be better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you cast into the deepest sea. That's pretty serious coming from Jesus, isn't it? But he says, don't offend one of these little ones because they're angels they look, at, they look at the Father on the throne. They look at Jesus on the throne. What are they looking at Jesus for? Because they're ready. Go. They're gone. And that's part of our salvation. I don't know all those things. I just see what the Bible says. And one day we'll know. We see in a mirror dimly, but one day face to face. But those angels minister judgment. They They also minister salvation. They protect you until you come to Christ. And they fly from the throne. As soon as he repents, as soon as he recognizes his awful condition as a sinful man who only spouts wickedness. James said, can a fountain put forth both sweet water and bitter water? No, no, no. If a fountain's bitter, it's bitter. It's bitter. So if it's pumping out sin, it's pumping out that filth. Just the abundance of your heart coming out every time you get squeezed. And you can stop lying and say, you know what? Just like Isaiah, I'm altogether lost to my sin. I'm a man about to be ripped apart. Immediately God sends the angel. He takes a tong from the altar, a white, white hot coal. He places it on his lips. He said, well, hold it now. You're a theologian in, 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 in practice, right? You're, you're learning. He said, well, hold it. I thought Jesus had to die on the cross. Listen here. 
God lives outside of time. And when he gives a word, it's as good as done. And our Savior entered into time and space and took our place on a cross. But even the Old Testament, it was as good as done. And he sent that coal and he placed it on the lips. He said, now you're clean. And you know what? That's what justified is. Justified means God puts you in the category of redeemed and just as if you never sinned. He's the only one that can cleanse you. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't work yourself up. You can't make yourself acceptable. But God does. And so he says, now you're clean. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Don't you love that? That is the heart of a slave. That is the heart of every Christian slave that belongs to Jesus Christ as his Lord. I belong to you. Send me wherever you want to. Everything I have is yours. My children are yours. My wife is yours. My stuff, it's all yours. It's just yours. Makes it a lot easier. You know, uh, years ago, uh, I, I began to have this understanding. And so it, when the truck was broke, I could go to the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, your truck's broke. When your wife dents your new truck because she had to go to the grocery store, you don't have to be mad at her. Lord, did you see what she did to your truck? You don't have to be angry. Somebody borrows your stuff and it never returns, just say, well, it went in the ministry. It was God's anyway. I don't own anything. See, that's hard because our stuff starts owning us. And it's just hard because that's our stuff. You know, we like to get all we can, can't all we get and sit in the lid. God likes to pry our fingers off that can, open it up, and shake it out. And that old youth group song that says, One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway, grieving in my rags and poverty, until I heard a voice inviting, Lift your empty hands to me. So I held my hands to heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. Then at last I comprehended in my stupid mind and dull that God cannot pour his riches into hands already full. Corey Tenboom said, when God is trying to pry your fingers off the will of your life, it's just as painful as you want to make it. He can do it. You can just open your hand. But Isaiah says, hey, I'll go. So he gives him his commission. He said, here's what I want you to do. How do you like this commission? Go and tell this people to keep on listening, but don't perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. And render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Well, I mean, Jonah had a better response than that, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh. Those wicked, wicked people, they were just so wicked. 
And he didn't want God to forgive him, and he knew God would. So he ran, and God had to swallow him with a fish, get his attention, spit him up, and say, now go. Fine, I'll go. I mean, the story of Jonah is an amazing story. I mean, it's like some Christians I know. You think to look at them, they're weaned on pickle juice. And to be obedient is just such a, and that was Jonah. Can you imagine this guy doesn't want to see people make a decision or turn to the Lord? Repent, God's judgment is coming. Repent, God's judgment is coming. Walks through the city, and guess what? Everybody repents. How much did that have to do with Jonah? Nothing. Nothing. See, we're just the messenger. The response is not our responsibility. Listen, that ought to lighten your load. So what's our focus? Don't try to change the message. Simple. As simple and clear as you can. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. You need a savior because you're a sinner. That's it. And he walked through town and they all repented from the king down to the lowest animal. They put ashes on everybody. And God withheld his judgment. And what did Jonah do? He went out and mourned. He pouted. I knew you'd do that because you're such a grace and forgiving God. What an attitude. But here's Isaiah. He says, do what? He said, Isaiah, I'm the one that softens hearts. I'm the one that draws. And what's going to happen? You're going you're to preach this message of truth And the message is just going to reveal what their hearts are. Stubborn and hard. They're rebellious. They refuse to listen. You can't make somebody listen. Sometimes I look at folks and I wonder if they're playing the game, how low can you go? Because judgment comes into their life. They go, well, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Really? That's not wisdom from above. Now, every time you get sick or something happens, doesn't mean it's sin. But as a believer, you're probably saying, okay, Lord, right? You're sick, you're laying there with a the flu, and you feel like you're going to die. You say, okay, Lord, everything right between you and me, right? That's the response of a godly person. You're at least asking the question. You see, Jesus quoted this passage in the New Testament. He would use the Proverbs to try to make people think, try to make people think, you know, I don't understand what he's saying. I'm going to go ask. But most people didn't go ask, did they? Because they didn't believe him. But the disciples did. They said, Lord, why are you teaching parables? And he said, well, as said in Isaiah, to make their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see, they might believe. I'm like, what, what? He said, listen, it's given unto you. Because you ask, I'm going to explain it to you. Same thing happens to you in Scripture. There's many things in Scripture we're not going to understand it to heaven, but there's some that we dig and we wrestle. We can understand it. We can be like the miner who's mining for truth that's digging out treasure. We want it so bad to know the Lord, to know his ways, that we're willing to take the time and dig it out, right? And when you bring it out, it's such a precious thing. When God teaches you from his word. But the world says that's ridiculous. And they just go on their way to hell. The Bible says broad is the way. Jesus said his invitation on the Sermon on the Mount. Broad is the way. 
that leads to eternal life. And most people are going that way. So as you're sharing the truth, don't be discouraged. And say, well, I must not be doing a good job. I've been praying. Does it mean you don't care? No, it doesn't mean you don't care. Paul prayed fervently. Some of you have been praying for lost ones that you love for years. Keep on praying. Praying is the best thing you can do. And then if you're praying and you're fervent, you'll be looking for that opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, you say, help me, Lord. And you'll give exactly the right word because God loves being a part of that. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. But don't be discouraged. The Bible says that's the way it is. Because narrow is the way and straight, hard, low is the gate. It takes a miracle for anybody to come to Christ. A miracle. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it's on the level of when God spoke light into darkness when there was no light. It says, just like when God said, let there be light, so he has shown the light of Christ in our face. That's why you turn. There was an ex There was nothing there worthy of salvation. It was altogether sin, and then God spoke light into your life. And he gave you the gift of faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, By grace you are saved through faith, and even the faith is not from you. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to preach, no matter what the result. You just follow me. You just be what? Faithful. How long, Lord? Until the cities are devastated without inhabitant. Until the houses are without people. Until the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet, yet, there will be a remnant. He said, there will be a tenth portion in it. And it will be again subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump. What we see of the nation of Israel, you look at it today, most of the part of the nation of Israel are unbelieving. Most of them are not even religious. They're just are religious. They're atheistic, secular. And you see the stump there. You say, wow, can these bones live? They can live just like you live. You see, one day God's going to say the word. If you look at Isaiah 53, that's the testimony of those in the tribulation that wake up for the first time and realize they miss Jesus. And they said, but we, we didn't think he was anything. We, we esteemed him stricken and abused of God and man. And we turned our faces away from him. And yet it was him who was chastised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our sin. And by his stripes we are healed. A tenth. Listen. Most of the people you talk to won't receive Christ. It's not about the seed. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel. It's powerful. It's the work God is doing. But oh, to be a part of what God's doing. What does the sower go out to sow? Jesus said, he's not out to well, put a seed here. Now, I think there's some good soil. I'll put some here. No, not your job. You just take the bag and you get that seed and you spread it everywhere. God's in charge of preparation of the heart. And you can't tell by looking at a person what their heart's like. 
Some hearts have grown up in church. They've heard the, church, the, the truth all their life, and yet their heart is like the roadside. And it just kind of bounces there. And I've heard that before. Yeah, it's nothing new to me. I said a prayer. I'm in. I can live how I want. And it's hard. God knows how to bring the rotor tiller, the plow, and break up that hard, hard ground. What's my part? To pray, be sensitive to opportunity, and to consistently give and live the truth. Listen, if God can give this faithful church just a tithe of Laramie, that'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? God in every big city could just give a tithe of those people. And yet even in the tribulation, the Bible says there will be some from every tribe, tongue, and people group. Every nation will be represented in heaven, even in the worst of times. So no matter how bad the times are like right now, there's still opportunity for harvest. And our call is to be faithful. Listen, we don't have to be afraid. Our God sits in the heavens, the God of the pagans. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel. But our God sits in the heavens. He does whatever he wants to. He says, you follow me. You be faithful. You see, we only have this time and place. We can't choose a different time and place. But we have this time and place to be found faithful. Oh, the great joy of one day hearing from Jesus. You are faithful. See, that's what it's about. It's not how many notches you get in your gospel gun. You know, how many, you know, oh, I, I saved these people. No, you saved nobody. God just called you to be faithful in your time and your place. He wants that for your life. Father, give us grace that we would submit to your word and to your will no matter what the situation is. Give us a view of you of the powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-comforting God in heaven that walks through us even through the valley, the shadow of death, that we need fear no evil. Lord, that we would be stirred up with a godly enthusiasm to be found faithful, to stand. And like the old gospel song that we sing, we hope to die shouting, the Lord will provide. We pray in Jesus' name.